A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Kia ora and welcome from RNZ National. Here's Our Changing World with me, Alison Balance. In the middle of last year, we checked in with Niwa marine mammal expert Kim Getz. She was about to head off into Cook Strait, where she was deploying seven acoustic receivers to record underwater sounds. She's been back to download the first six months of audio, and what she's found has surprised even her. Kim's interested in whales and dolphins, because even though nearly half of the world's 80 or so species have been recorded in New Zealand waters, we know very little about them. Most of our information comes either from stranded whales or from sightings at the surface. Yet we know that cetaceans spend much of their time underwater. Beaked whales are the, are the classic example. They are very, very deep diving animals. Of the 22 known species on our planet, 13 of those species are known to go into New Zealand waters. And that's, that's basically all from stranding, from dead animals. And those are very, very, very elusive animals, very, very deep divers. They come to the surface for very short periods. So we did go down a different path, and that we decided to listen to the animals. So we established an acoustic monitoring project, Fixed Passive Acoustics. And so we deployed seven instruments, and we chose an area that was both biologically meaningful and also um, logistically um, less challenging than another area. So um, because a project of this scale hasn't really been done in New Zealand, we wanted to choose an area that was somewhat closer to reach. And so that's where we started with the Cook Strait region. To me, as a biologist, it was also really um, interesting because it's a deep water canyon system. And there's there's very few of these really deep water canyons that come close to shore. So for Cook Strait, for example, the Cook Strait Canyon starts 10 kilometers offshore, plunges three kilometers deep. And these features often attract marine mammals. So um, they, you know, they might congregate prey and things like that. So building on the idea that A, whales and dolphins are actually quite vocal, noisy animals, and B, that their noise travels quite a long way underwater? Yes, there's a couple of components with that. Um, acoustic monitoring is an attractive method because for a couple of reasons. I mean, you can do 24 hours, seven days a week coverage, and it's also um, not dependent on weather. So, you know, if, if we're doing a traditional line transect survey, either boat or, or plane, um, you're really limited to daylight hours, to good weather and that kind of thing. So this kind of allows us to get a little bit more information there are, um, I guess, drawbacks to any method, and that would be you're depending on the animal calling. So if an animal isn't calling, we don't really know. And then as far as how sound travels, it's very different for the different species. So if you have the baleen whale, so a blue whale, for example, that sound is very, very low, and it's going to travel, you know, um, tens to hundred kilometers versus if you get, you know, a, a high frequency emitting marine mammal, such as, you know, uh, a dolphin, that's going to transmit I mean, we're talking maybe a kilometer. So it's very different and it's dependent, species dependent. And so one of the, the neat things about our instruments that we used is that it was, it was duty cycle that it could, it's a multi, uh, multi-channel hydrophone. So it's not only recording the low frequency for X amount of minutes, but then it'll flip over and record the high frequency. So it's a bit of a game that you play because high frequency to record that information, extremely, extremely large 
files. And so you have to, you can't really record six months at a super high frequency. Um, as it is, our instruments would record two terabytes of data. So from this project, we have 14 terabytes of data, and that's not an easy feat to go through. So remind me, when did you put these out in Cook Strait, and when did you go and pull in the, the first lot of data? Yeah, so we put these in in June of 2016, and we just pulled them out in December. Um, and so we're just now starting to go through the data. A lot of interesting preliminary results. Results are going to keep coming for quite a long time. And then we just redeployed them in February, and so they're going to be out until at least August. Fantastic. So what did you find? What didn't we find <laughs> might be the question. The cool thing about this project is um, I would argue that it's it's more of a project on something that's called ecoacoustics. So it's not only the biological component, which is, you know, as a biologist, very, very interesting, exciting to me. But there's this whole other side of it as well. We're recording um, all the anthropogenic noise. So, you know, everything from vessel traffic, from seismic surveys, as well as all the natural contributors. So the earthquake, for example, the big earthquake. Of course. That's, that's, that's all on the instruments. Um, you know, a lot of the weather events. So one of the, you know, interesting things as a, as the non-biological component is I was looking at one of the days and all of a sudden the vessel traffic just went to zero. I mean, practically on every station. And, um, and that's a really large area that we're monitoring. And so with the weather being so localized, it's really rare that you'd see a trend in every single station. And just this one day, you know, all the instruments went to zero and I, I called my colleague and I'm like, is there something weird about the data? What's going on? And and we look at it and we're like, oh, September 8th. Well, that's weird. Like, what is September 8th? And did some searching around. Oh, it was a massive, massive storm event that came through and 150 kilometer hour winds. There was nobody on the water. And so it tells a story. It paints a picture and it's just, you know, it's amazing. It's like, oh, I can look at this, see this one day, there's no vessel traffic. What's going on? Oh, it's a massive weather event. So, so boat noise. Yeah. Let, let's start there. Yeah, I do have a couple of those. So, for example, um, this would be a large vessel. Here's another audio clip. We believe this is a small vessel with a large outboard. And so that's one of the, you know, one of the interesting things is is uh, also learning a lot about the environment. You know, we had an instrument in Queen Charlotte Sound, very different environments, very narrow channels, um, so much vessel traffic. But the interesting thing is, is that even though there's so much vessel traffic, when it goes by the instrument, it's you hear it, but you don't hear it for super long periods because the noise is pretty confined um, based on the environment. Versus if you have a, you know, an instrument in the deep water environment, even though there's less vessel traffic, it's it basically the sound can travel 360 degrees. So you're, you know, it's, it has a very different effect based on the environment. Now, you've mentioned the Kaikoura earthquake there. What did the earthquake sound like on your instruments? So our hydrophones are very sensitive and designed to pick up marine mammals that are maybe not the noisiest marine mammals at large distances. So, you know, at first I looked at it, and you can you can see it. It's, it, it appears on the spectrogram. It's beautiful. However, the sound is not. Um, it basically, because it's outside the sensitivity of the hydrophone, it's kind of like if you take a microphone and you rub it on your sleeve or something, you kind of hear that staticky sort of sound. So it's not really the true sound of the earthquake. It's outside. It gets clipped by the hydrophone because it's just our hydrophones aren't designed for that kind of um, power. And that earthquake is just too big. Oh, Absolutely. 
So I have another earthquake that I found that it doesn't get clipped, but the, um, the sound isn't, isn't still quite right, but I can play that for you. So you see it just sounds kind of staticky. So when you're reviewing all this, you're sitting listening, you're also watching what's going on in your spectrogram. Right, exactly. So like here again, you know, this is the the large vessel. So this is what it lo- what it's looking like when you see this. So this oh, so is- you can definitely see it. Coming. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see it, and you can you know you you see exactly kind of where it is and passing the instrument. So you can see you can get a lot of information. You can determine kind of you know what direction the the vessel was coming from um, and that kind of information. Is there a background noise that you get all the time in the ocean? I'm just thinking when I go snorkeling in shallow water, I hear a lot of snapping shrimps. That was one of the questions is like, well, how noisy is Cook Strait? Like, because it's it's not just this, you know, anthropogenic input. There's a lot of natural things that go into it. And so one of the things that we did find is that, you know, Cook Strait, the environment is really weather driven. There are a lot of storm events. And as far as how it compares to other places, well, we can look at, for example, tropical Australian waters. And, you know, the tropical environment would be a pretty quiet environment. You know, and then you get even higher than Cook Strait. Um, you know, this would be coastal Canada. And when I say coastal Canada, this is actually in the middle of a shipping lane. So it's a noisy world out there. What kind of noises are the whales and dolphins in it making? So people think it's pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, open the spectrogram. Oh, look, there's this beautiful whale call. Uh, like, you know, quite I talked contrary, about. I'd think it would be needle in a haystack stuff. No, absolutely, right? So, you know, a lot of the way, because you're dealing with such, such massive quantities of data, you know, a lot of people, people have different approaches, but generally, you know, there's there's kind of two different ways. It's like there's, there's detectors. So, like, um, you go to the literature, people develop detectors based on, you know, very well um, documented calls that animals make, and you, you know, develop this detector that goes through your data and, you know, tells you when it's detected these animals. And then you have to see how well these detectors are doing. So you do a lot of manual analysis. So there's usually X amount of manual analysis that's done to make sure your detectors are performing as they should perform. But basically the real discoveries come out of manual processing because you don't have detectors for some animals and, you know, you you can't do that for everything. What people typically show in presentations and, and things like that are these, you know, beautiful whale calls that just shine nice and bright without a lot of noise around it. But that's that's often not what, what you see, uh, you know, and going through all the files. So that's, it's not necessarily, um, you know, the easiest thing to find. So there's a lot of detective work involved. A lot of detective work involved. But when, when you do find a blue whale call, what does it sound like? So that's one that clearly you already know what it sounds like. You know um, what you're looking for? We do. The blue whales, we can't actually... Uh, play a call per se because it's much much too low for okay. uh, for our hearing. Their sounds travel entire ocean basins, and so very low call. So it's it's basically outside of our hearing our hearing range. Okay, so folks, you're not hearing a blue whale. Yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> I can definitely play you a couple um, other calls. The humpback whales, you know, we definitely picked up humpback whales, plenty of them. They do match the what we know about the migratory pattern. So you know, we only heard them up till about mid August, and then nothing. You know, and it's it's you know well it matches. But we're no from the from the migratory pattern, um, and then we have you know we had some a few interesting calls, and so this is a a call from a humpback whale that we, we you know, basically we think sounds like a, a plane taking off. One 
one of the the things that I found was really amazing um, was just the the beaked whales. Again, like I said, there's so little known about beaked whales, and you know, you get into these situations um, where like I said, of the beaked whale species, there's just so little known that we actually don't know what a lot of calls sound like. There are some beaked whale species like Cuvier's beaked whales that um, there is quite a bit in the literature. They, there has been quite a bit of work, and so we do know what those animals sound like. As far as other beaked whales, we think we have possibly detected a strap-toothed beaked whale and a grazed beaked whale um, based on the little bit of information that's out there and um, what the call looks like. We can't, we're not positive, but that's what it, it looks like it's indicating. But one of the really cool things that came out of this is, again, you know, the Cuvier's beaked whale, um, we we do have a way to detect them because it is known. Like I said, the call is pretty well known and it's pretty unique. And we're detecting them at every single station, even Queen Charlotte Sound, all the way up into, into Taranaki, you know, and then down on the, the, the east side of, of Cook Strait. So, yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, nobody really knows anything about it. And I certainly wouldn't have necessarily thought that there were Cuvier's beaked whales in, in Queen Charlotte Sound. But um, they're just so rarely seen. They're very elusive animals. Can we have a listen to those different beaked whale calls? I cannot play you a beaked whale call, unfortunately. Um, I don't have the, the audio for that, um, and it would be a pretty high frequency. What I can play, however, is we had a couple of unusual suspects that it's not to say that they've never been seen in New Zealand waters, but it's just very rare, um, especially being acoustically recorded, I guess. And one of those is the Antarctic minke. So, you know, they they have recorded Antarctic minkies in uh, at least visually in Australia, so we do know that they're going up there. But where where they're going, you know, in terms of, of New Zealand waters, wasn't really well known. So we did pick up these guys. So they they are coming through New Zealand waters, and this is I can play with, uh, play for you. This is an Antarctic uh, minke whale call. <laughs> That's actually called a bioduck call, and so you can kind of see it has a sounds like it's almost quacking. So we've talked about some of the bigger whales. What about dolphins? Yeah, so dolphins we are also picking up at every single station. Um, we haven't kind of picked, teased these out by species yet, so these are still preliminary results. But what we can tell you is that small dolphins are detected at, at every single station all through Cook Strait, Queen Charlotte Sound. Um, but in Queen Charlotte Sound, um, there's definitely a lot more detections. So maybe not so surprising. It's a very protected environment. You know, where it's known for, for dolphins um, being present. But the other thing we can look at from this data is for not only these species, um, for dolphins, for other species as well. Um, we did we did um, already go through this for dolphins, but you can look at this on a day-night um, scale. So you can look at, well, where are these detections being recorded in terms of day or night? And so what we're seeing, for example, for small dolphins is that most of these detections are um, at night. And so that's that's suggesting that, you know, while they're foraging at night, they're probably squid eaters are probably foraging on squid. Yeah, so we can, there's a lot of different information we can pull from this. And it's just sort of, um, you know, a lot of scientists would probably kill me for saying this, but it it's almost, it's so much data. It's just, we will be getting results um, for a very long time. So it's it's almost um, onerous just to, just to go through this this time this quantity of data. The acoustic receivers are still out there recording away again. You're still dealing with this massive amount of data. But as a preliminary, what's it telling you about Cook's status and acoustic environment? 
It's really interesting. Like I said, I mean, we're just learning a lot about just how noisy it is, how much flow noise there is, how much um, man-made noise there is. You know, like I said, we're picking up, um, we're being able to quantify how much vessel traffic and seismic surveys are contributing to the soundscape or even even weather events. Um, you know, one of the other things that we're finding is that it, it might be a, a, I guess, sort of a, you know, it, it's a migratory corridor, but it's also um, almost like a barrier it could be, um, and that's that's what we're looking into. So, for example, in the blue whales, um, what, is what we're finding is that we're picking up Antarctic blue whales, but only on really on the east side of the strait, not on the other side. Um, and then, you know, all the New Zealand blue whales, so um, New Zealand, I say New Zealand blue whales a bit in quotes because it's not an actual uh, determined subspecies, but it's, they have very unique calls in New Zealand. Um, and those calls we're only detecting on, you know, primarily on, on the west side. So um, whether it's some sort of barrier between um, these, these types of, um, you know, blue whales, um, the New Zealand blue and the Antarctic blue, um, we'll find out more in this next month deployment, but that's that's really what it's looking like, um, you know. And in terms of, you know, there's there's a bit of work that was done on humpback whales, and um, you know, some humpback whales migrate through the strait, and some don't. Some go just up the east coast of New Zealand, and so, uh, from my understanding, they actually have slightly different um, vocal repertoire. So. It, in, in their different populations. So there's a little bit more, I think, going on at Cook Strait than, than maybe we suspect. And it, it could be separating populations, um, you know, of, of these different animals. Um, so that's, that's something that'll come out of this data as we get further into the analysis, I think. That was Kim Getz from Niwa. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.